Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Welcome, happy Thursday. You are listening to News Talk, Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving news talk. Awesomeness. So glad you could join us on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program, available to you on podcast. If you'd like to give us a call, always glad to hear from listeners just like you. 416-640-0200. Lots going on, as usual. Tom Korski from Black Locks Reporter. One of the best guests around. He's, Tom's always terrific on the increasingly tyrannical federal government, specifically as it applies to the Canada Revenue Agency. Okay, so you can get a fine now if you sell your home why, and not tell them about it. It's, this is a, ta- a non-taxable thing. But, uh, yeah, serious business. So you better come clean or the tax man will come after you, even though the proceeds are not taxable. The agency, in an obscure, just reading part of the uh, Blacklocks reporter story here, in an obscure 2016 tax change, it ordered all homeowners to report sales of primary residence through proceeds not taxable. They want to know. Doesn't matter whether they're getting a nickel of that money or not. Also, Miles Kristen will be on the show as Bernie surges. Yeah, the socialist Sanders. Uh, is he going to be the guy? It's beginning to look. Also, Trump, I guess, has a new name. You know, he's always got you know crooked Hillary, low energy jab, all this stuff. He's got a new name for Bloomberg. It is Mini Mike. Well, he couldn't say Mini Me, so it's got to be well, Mini Mike. Is like he's not the tallest guy in the world. Okay, I think he's like five seven. So his this is the guy who came out. He wanted to stand on some kind of a platform, a special like I don't know, some kind of a crate. Just so that he could be as tall as, I don't know, Tulsi Gabbard or whatever <laughs> on the debate stage. So, so Trump has been going to town on, on Bloomberg, calling him Mini Mike. Anyway, uh, yeah, of course it's silly. That's why we talk about it. It's fun. <laughs> also, Andrew Lawton. Yeah, it's an action-packed, star-studded lineup. Along with David Barnsdale at the bottom of hour two, but Lawton, yet Andrew's going to be here as convict as a convicted terrorist and attempted assassin. This is the guy uh, who was at the heart of that d- disastrous India trip that uh, Junior went on a few years ago, and alleged to have threatened a former coworker. Now, so he's back in trouble with the law. But I was thinking, you know what, Junior will probably get him off the hook, and that's what he does. You know, he's just, he's a fixer. The cops won't touch Junior when he breaks the law, so why should his friends 
not get the same benefits. Uh, a huge spike in the number of coronavirus cases suggesting, again, that China's been cooking the books big time to make this thing look not as serious. But I guess they're starting to come clean, or what are we saying, that maybe they're they're rejigging, they're reassessing how they're measuring these uh, cases. And as a result of that, all of a sudden, the number of cases jumped more than 14,000, like overnight. And another two, over 240 new deaths from the uh, coronavirus, including some outside, I guess, in Japan now. Somebody died. Uh, the spike in numbers, as reported by left-wing CNN, partly due to a broader definition of what constitutes the confirmed cases. Uh, we know that they're burning hundreds and hundreds of bodies. Uh, we, we have reports of that. But, you know, it's just trying to decipher fact from fiction over there. And it's, it's kind of scaring people. And certainly uh, there's a little bit of a cloud over the markets this morning over that. Also, Canadians are frustrated for good reason, uh, quite fed up now with the inaction of the Trudeau government, refusing to take any real concrete action on the economically destructive anti-pipeline protests. Oh, yeah. There, listen, you know, some of the videos that have been coming out uh, suggest that Canadians are not thrilled at all. I mean, they, they interviewed Justin Trudeau on this. His take was, well, you know, you've got two sides, you know, let's have some dialogue. Let's sit down. You know, what, what, stop trying to legitimize lawbreakers, Justin. I mean, you know, you're, do your job here. Don't just chase after that U.N. seat. That U.N. Security Council seat, which Canadians, uh, by the way, I really doubt they give a damn about. He, to him, it's like the most important thing in the world. But I don't think Canadians care about it. But let's hear a little bit of audio. This is what happened. And you're going to hear a bit of a confrontation between the, uh, the police and some Canadians who kind of started to take matters in their own hands here because their economy is being hurt. Transportation links are under pressure here. Let's <laughs> So they're cleaning up the road. The democratic process has already been as simple as you think it is. Okay? It is. No, it's not. You know it is. Your hands are tied, mine aren't. If it was simple, we would have already done it already. I know it's not simple for you. I do understand that. I do understand that. You're taking the easier route with resting assets, less than them. He doesn't have the ability to block the freaking highway down. What are they? What are they doing? They're blocking the whole highway. We pay taxes to use these highways. That's our right. That's our right. We give out and block the highway down to arrest us. They tend to arrest me in front of the camera. How come they're allowed to Right. So there's the, there it is. The people are getting ticked off. The police are saying, well, you know, if it was easy, we would have done it already. Well, you know, in some cases, they're just not doing enough. But they need some leadership. I don't entirely blame the uh, the police here, the OPP or, or the RCMP. I mean, they need to get some guidance, too, from on high, right? But here, it, it appears like the cops are making excuses. And that uh, video was shot by Global and shared by Canada Proud. Uh, it just seems like Junior is fiddling here while the economy suffers thanks to the ongoing disruption 
uh, in the rail service. Trudeau, you know, wants both sides to dialogue. I mean, there are no two sides here. You got one, you got a legitimate side, which is the needs of the country, and you got a bunch of lawbreakers and criminals. You know, yeah, they're protesters, but they're also involved in illegal activities. And given Junior's own flagrant disregard for the law, I guess I can kind of see why blackface would think that these protesters have, uh, I don't know, some kind of a legitimate claim to be treated as a viable, as a, you know, uh, an equal partner, an equal party here uh, that you have to negotiate with. I don't think you have to negotiate with these people. You know, they're causing great, a great deal of damage. And uh, so ju- just to, actually, I want to play this thing because CTV included a clip of, of Junior. Okay, so he was out there trying to score this UN seat. So I, Lord knows how much money he's throwing at these African dictators in order to try to get their support for uh, a UN Security Council seat. But let's listen a little bit. I want you to hear this uh, CTV anchor introduce this. First off, let's listen. He is in Senegal. He's continuing his push for support for Canada's UN Security Council bid. We want a seat. Wait a minute. Who's we? (laughs) It's like, excuse me. Like, are you speaking on behalf of the Trudeau government here? I don't want a seat. I don't care about the UN. You know, I care about our transportation links. I care about people being able to get to where they want to go by train or by by road or highway or whatever it is. That's what I care about. If Junior wants to go out and spend a whole bunch of my money on trying to bribe, uh, you know, others to, to try and help him. Well, okay, fine. He may he may be giving them some kind of money. I, you know, come on. There, there's always an exchange of cash here, okay? Always some kind of an exchange of cash in order to get some of these countries on side. But here it is, a reporter, well, she's an anchor person, saying, yeah, we want a seat. Well, maybe you want a seat in order to make Justin Trudeau look good. I personally don't care. You don't speak for me, but it sounds to me like she speaks for the Trudeau government. Yeah, it's we want a seat. Listen again. We want a seat. No, you want a seat. Uh, During a news conference, though, just a few moments ago, the prime minister was asked about his message to the anti-pipeline protesters. Here's what he said. First of all, uh, this is an issue that is of of concern. Obviously, I've had uh, regular briefings and updates, and we'll be uh, speaking with ministers a little later today uh, on exactly this issue. Um, We recognize uh, the important democratic right, and we will always defend it, uh, of peaceful protest. This is an important part of our democracy in Canada. But we're also a country of the rule of law. Okay, I want you to think about that now. We're a country of the rule of law. Now, you keep that in mind. Right. We need to make sure those laws are respected. Right. That is why they have to be respected. Uh, I, will be, I am uh, encouraging all parties uh, to dialogue to resolve this as quickly as possible. Excuse me, all parties. You know, like if you have one party, if you want to call them that, breaking the law, and we're supposed to be a country that respects the law, then you have to take care of this. Law enforcement exists in order to enforce the law. And when the law is being broken, there's nothing to negotiate here. You don't, you know, if somebody's robbing a bank, you don't say, hey, let's talk about this. You know, maybe we can, you know, make some kind of a deal in terms of giving you some money. No, you're a lawbreaker, right? That means you need to be dealt with in a manner that shows that we are a law-respecting government and country. But maybe because of his own, like I said, his own flagrant disregard for the law, I can kind of see why. When he looks at lawbreakers elsewhere, he kind of has some sympathy for them and wants to include them as one of the parties that needs to be dialogued with. Give me a break.
There's this other story. The state broadcaster and Liberal Party mouthpiece, CBC, does this story. i got to get to this pretty quick before we take a time out because Tom, uh, Tom Corsi is going to be on hand. But, okay, so they're quoting the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, Perrin Beatty. And oddly enough, Junior's name is nowhere to be found, okay, in this story, Right. I mean, so Perrin Beattie, warning of the economic emergency, he used those words, emergency that we're facing as a country as a result of the disruption in rail service caused by anti-pipeline protests. Quote, it is damaging our international reputation as a reliable supplier. It is affecting our supply chains around the world. We're an international joke. The disruption is having a significant impact on Canadian industries, costing millions, damaging Canada's reputation as a supplier of goods. Well, you go down the story and there's like no mention of Junior. There is no mention of Justin Trudeau, despite the fact that blackface was in fact quoted as you just heard him. Yeah, we know that blackface has more important things to do than concern himself with the economy and the critical movement of goods across this country of ours. We know he's busy throwing our money at African dictatorships, you know, who don't even respect gays, you know, where where homosexuality is seen as a crime in Senegal. But he glosses all over that. He doesn't want to talk about that. No, no, no. Boy, he's spending a ton of cash doing this. And uh, so, you know, my point is you have a guy who basically doesn't really respect the law himself. We've seen that by his own behavior, treating these law-breaking protesters as a party that has to be negotiated with. And you get a hack media over at CTV and CBC basically trying to run in, you know, interference for this guy, either not including him in a story or suggesting that, yeah, he's part of what we all want, which is a seat on the Security Council. Get lost. Start doing your job. And you too, Junior. Do the job we pay you for. Got to take a quick time out. Tom Korski on the other side of this. So don't go away. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with the Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program. So very glad you could join us. We've got Tom Korski on the line. He is with Blacklock's Reporter. And he's coming to us from Ottawa, where I guess the Canada Revenue Agency, you know, keeping these little numbers to themselves, okay? They're not exactly being upfront about all the people that they are fining as a result of a minor little tax change uh, announced in 2016, okay? So if you're a homeowner and you're reporting the sales, you have to report the sales of your home, of your primary residence, even though those... uh, Proceeds are not taxable. What's going on here, Tom? It's really interesting, Mark. Uh, they say they don't have the data. Pretty sure they have the data, but I can understand why they don't want anyone else to know the data. Four years ago, this wasn't even an act of Parliament. It was a decision by the Canada Revenue Agency that said, if you sell your primary residence, 
you must report it on your tax return, though, as you mentioned, it's not taxable. Why would they want to know that, you ask? They said at the time this was to target house flippers, speculators, uh, people who had investment income, people who sell a cottage at the lake, which can be taxable as capital gains or business income. Had nothing to do, stress, nothing to do with taxing the sale of your own home. But... Just to make sure there was compliance, they manufactured an $8,000 fine. So we had two simple questions. How many people have reported sales of their homes? It's about, uh, averages about 440000 a year on their tax return. We say, how many people got fined for missing your paperwork deadline? And they said, well, we don't have that data. There was an overarching issue to this, though, and it came up briefly in the election campaign last fall, Mark. There was a, uh, an Ontario Liberal Caucus memo that was leaked by the Conservative Party. And in the memo, they mused about taxing home sales, 50% in the first year on a de-escalating scale. But they proposed that it would be an interesting suggestion to tax mom and pop when they sell the house. Well, the uh, conservatives were getting ready to put this out. Liberal organizers got very upset. The prime minister sent out a tweet, said, never perish the thought we would never tax home sales. Big problem if they ever go to tax home sales, as would be obvious. Incidentally, some media have been confused on this point, and it was reported at the time, ironically, by a CBC fact check that said, well, primary home sales are taxed in the United States. Newsflash, in the United States, mortgage payments are tax deductible. That's why they tax the home. If you want to make mortgage payments tax deductible in Canada, be my guest, but you don't, so you don't get to tax me when I sell my house. Can we talk about the uh, the anti-pipeline pro- protests? Uh, these things are just devastating. We had Perrin Beatty coming out saying, this is, this is terrible for our economy. Uh, it is undermining credibility and uh, trust in Canada's ability to move goods from one end of the country to the other. These protests are going on. The, the uh, prime minister was asked about this in Senegal, and he said, well, you know, he we wants to he wants to see uh, dialogue between both sides. I mean, one side is breaking the law by doing what they're doing, and yet somehow he equates these two as both like almost equal partners, as two sides that need to be involved in negotiating. I mean, either you're a nation of laws that respects laws, or you're not. Meantime, you've got some Canadians here taking matters into their own hands. We we played some audio earlier in the show today where people are getting so fed up with having their highways blocked and trains blocked that they're they're getting out there and taking matters into their own hands. And I'm pretty sure Tom, that these people are going to end up getting charged if that that keeps up. Shippers are very upset. It's funny, most people never step foot on a train, and once in a while you see one go by. This is a golden age. If you're in the rail freight business, uh, anybody who owns shares in Canadian Pacific or Canadian National will tell you that. Their revenues are in the billions because most everything moves by rail. It's 75-80% auto parts, chemicals, uh, you name it. Seventy-five to eighty percent of exports move by rail. So when you shut down the national rail network, and there are these, as you mentioned, these protests on main lines, 
uh, the costs start adding up in the millions almost instantaneously. Interestingly enough, at that exact moment, as you mentioned, the prime minister's overseas on this, what appears to be an obscure venture to get this seat in the UN Security Council. I, I agree with your observation that there is huge public indifference. I don't think anybody, I haven't heard anybody say they give a damn about getting a seat at the UN Council, but the timing is strange. This is the sort of thing that prime ministers do at the end of their term. You remember Mulroney when it was starting to get a little bit hot with yeah. the made in Mulroney Canada recession, and he went bore a hunting with Boris Yeltsin in Russia. That's the sort of thing you do as you're packing your bags to leave office. It's a strange uh, campaign to run when you're just starting a second term in a really tight fight in a minority parliament. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because we know that this guy's in love with the UN. He's a he's a globalist guy, you know, he he's the type of person who sees the world, you know, he wants to be involved in global affairs. You know, he says at time and he goes around with a t-shirt that says global citizen, fine. So it's almost like he's all, he's making his pitch for a, you know, a big job with the UN. I my thinking is, yeah, by all means, we should help him get to the U.N. so that we can get somebody to run the country who actually cares about the domestic affairs that need attention right now. I just I don't understand the politics of it, Mark. I mean, Senegal, I'm sure, is a very fine country. Don't know anything about it. Never been there. I know they don't have any votes on the Commons Finance Committee, and that's really <laughs> where the, you want to have your focus because it's budget time, and you got a minority parliament, and there's a lot of expectations, demands, and tension, and I'm not getting it. Well, I do know that being gay is actually punishable by law in Senegal, and yet when the, the prime minister was asked about this, you know, why didn't he speak out on behalf of that community, he said, well, you know, Senegal is doing a good job and being an example to other countries. So he completely glossed over that. So he's, be, he's really quite anxious you know, to sacrifice those types of issues on the altar of trying to get that seat at any costs. Uh, let's talk about another story you've got with the time we've got left, a Green Co. breaking labor regulations. So this is one of those, another one of those boondogs involving taxpayer money. Uh, another green company, a green energy firm that got a bunch of money from the feds through uh, from the taxpayers of this country and then later on was cited by a federal, a federal Labor uh, Labor Department for breach of regulation. So these people have not been model citizens. No, we call this a lose lose <laughs> proposition. <laughs> so what happened? It's called Atlantec T E C Atlantec Bioenergy, and they got uh, from the taxpayers of Prince Edward Island and Canada a total of more than four million dollars in subsidies, and they were going to open. It wasn't even a commercial plant. They were going to open a demonstration sugar beet ethanol plant in a little town in PEI called Cornwall. They got a lot of money. I understand from the town of Cornwall uh, yesterday, there's not a lot of activity at the plant, but there was one, one thing that happened. A labor department inspector, a federal labor inspector showed up, asked for documents, didn't provide it. They got busted and fined under the temporary foreign worker program, so they're in breach of federal labor department regulations 
We don't know the state of their loans. They had some grants, some loans were repayable. Not a lot of ethanol coming out of the plant, which was never going to commercially produce ethanol anyway. No scam like a green scam, Mark. And there seem to be happening all the time in Ontario. You know the, those companies that got all sorts of cash from the provincial government under Wynne and McGinty. They open up their plants. And Jocelyn Bamford over at the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers, she has raised this issue numerous times. These companies get all sorts of money from the taxpayers. You know, they live high off the hog for a while, go bankrupt, and then uh, set up somewhere else, get more tax dollars, uh, set up under a slightly different name or a Revised mandate or whatever, get more money from the taxpayers, go bankrupt again, and what they, they make off like bandits. It's an outrage. The thing is about climate change, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, all you have to do is say climate change to shake the money tree. There was a really interesting, my opinion, underreported story that happened this week. There's a superintendent of financial institutions, no one has heard his name, is Jeremy Rudin, and he supervises banks and insurance companies to make sure they don't go broke and then cost depositors and policyholders a bunch of money. He gave a speech to some lawyers in Vancouver. He said climate change yeah, could pose liability risk for insurers. Manageable, he said. Flood, fire damage, manageable, he said. One thing you want to watch for serious recession and economic consequences from transition, what he called the transition, to the cabinet's goal of lowering greenhouse gas emissions. First time you've had a senior federal official who said, you know, the whole climate change business may not be rainbows and unicorns. There could be displacement of jobs in oil and gas, transportation and utilities. Keep an eye on it because it could be a big problem. Yeah, absolute devastation. We're seeing that now as cabinet kicks around this this tech frontier mine decision with at a time when Albertans so desperately need those jobs. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. Have a great day, Mark. Tom Korsky of Blacklocks Reporter. Check that out. Check out blacklocks.ca. That's uh, the location for that wonderful news site. A lot of stories that you're not going to see elsewhere. And so uh uh, good for Tom for, for doing such a great job over there at Blacklocks. More news talk to come. Miles Kristen on the other side of this timeout. Don't go away. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back. Looks like uh, the 2020 election uh, still a ways off, but starting to get ugly with Donald Trump ripping. Mike Bloomberg has five feet, four inches, mass of dead energy. Yeah, a five foot four mass of dead energy. Bloomberg hits, and I guess he's, he's got a new name for Bloomberg. It's Mini. 
I, five foot four? Is that all? So, and then Mike, uh, he hits back, though, with carnival barking clown is Trump. They laugh at you behind your back. I don't know. I don't think the Democrats are laughing. I think they're just seething with rage. Miles Kristen joining us from Madison, Wisconsin. He's with Wisconsin International Radio. Wow. this is str- So does this mean that Trump sees Bloomberg as the guy who's probably going to eventually walk away with this thing from the Democrat yeah. side? I don't know. I mean, Trump's, uh, you know, he's notorious for picking candidates apart one at a time and destroying him. He did it in 2016 with the Republicans, and he and he started with Biden. <laughs> he was pretty successful with Biden <laughs> all in all. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, one thing I think is really, really interesting is when uh, Sanders won the, the, the primary the other day, and... Um, he said, you know, whichever candidate uh, wins the nomination, we're going to get behind. And it's like, really? Even You would even get behind Bloomberg, Bernie? Like, I mean, the, the, the fact that, and that, that goes for all the Democrats. If Bloomberg were the candidate, all the Democrats would get lockstep behind him. They wouldn't advocate for Bernie to run as an independent or run for some third-party candidate. They'll support the Democrat no matter who it is. Well, some of the media is still in denial about Bernie, right? Because it looks like, I guess, he, he now be, becomes the odds-on favor, favorite. He beat uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg narrowly, I guess, in, in a couple of those races. But the, the thinking is that once they start moving into states in which there are more black voters, that they don't like Buttigieg. For whatever reason, Buttigieg can't buy votes in the black community and so then he becomes less and less of a player, and maybe a guy like Bloomberg starts to gain more and more. But then again, as you have raised before on this show, Bloomberg deserves no support from the black community whatsoever, given his ha- past uh, statements about stop and frisk and going after these minority communities in New York when he was mayor there, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like every few days there's more and more and more and more audio coming out of Bloomberg saying just horrible horrible things. I mean, he he would do radio interviews all the time, and he would state these ideas and policies that were terrible. And I mean, it's just, he's not, I wouldn't even say that he's a Republican or a Democrat. He's just this this billionaire tycoon, you know, using whatever political party best suits him at the time. You know, he is, and let's not forget, uh, Bloomberg is friends with a woman named uh, Maxwell, uh, who, uh, who? Why is she not in custody right now? Because of her connection with the whole Epstein case. Yeah, really. So maybe Bloomberg could be implicated in that somehow. Let's listen a little bit to some audio that you sent me. Uh, this is uh, this was tweeted out by an individual named Benjamin uh, Dixon. If you're a black person out there promoting Mike Bloomberg, we need to have a serious conversation. Let's listen to this interview. I guess it was with with Bloomberg. Murderers and murder victims. One of you can just take the description of Xerox it and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city in And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. So you've got to, you want to spend the money for a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So it's a little so It's hard to listen, it's hard to hear. Uh, the quality of the audio is. A little bit yep. wanting, but 
what he is saying is, you know, get the cops out of the, out of those minority out of the hands of those minorities where the guns are. So he clearly is making an association between crime and minority groups, meaning blacks. And so, so here's a guy who has this history of saying these types of things. And I realized that he kind of inherited some of those policies from Giuliani, but he didn't change them. And in certain respects, Giuliani had did have a lot of success. You know, bringing control to some of the criminal activities in New York City. He did make it a safer place. But your view is violating civil rights and people's constitutional rights is absolutely the wrong thing. And so for a guy like Bloomberg to go out there making a pitch as he's the guy who's going to stand up for minority groups is pretty rich. Yeah, I'll just say this really quickly. Um, you know, I was—I uh, grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, and about 20-something years ago, my Uncle Jeff was actually shot and murdered while uh, delivering Chinese food for, you know, a matter of, you know, a few dollars, basically. And I've thought about gun violence for a very long time and, and these types of, you know, people killing each other over, the, you know, a small amount of money. And getting guns out of the hands of people isn't going to stop that kind of stuff. What you really need to do is create better economic opportunities for people where they're not killing each other over the you know course of a few dollars and so really um, tax relief for small businesses and really figuring out better economic policies that are going to make people more prosperous that's the best way to combat uh, gun violence in America is is economics Talk about the uh, cronyism going on at this convention in Milwaukee, which you, that's that's oh your neck God. of the woods. You're right there. So, uh, so it, was, it was a great bit of video, by the way, that you shared with us. And we played it on uh, Saga 960 about you basically going to that uh, Michael Douglas event and kind of uh, shouting <laughs> shouting to these people about about Bloomberg as as Douglas was going out there saying that you know his father had just died, Kirk Douglas, and his last words were. Michael, take care of this. Yeah, meaning Bloomberg. It's like, yeah, I, really? That's his last. That's the last thing that came out of Kirk Douglas's mouth after over a hundred years on this planet. I don't think so. Yeah, but you mean the, you were talking about the cronyism of the convention? Yes. Oh, it's so okay. The, the Democratic National Convention's happening here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at a sports arena that the taxpayers put a quarter of a billion dollars into. Now, now there was a guy who was the U.S. senator named Herb Cole. He sold the Milwaukee Bucks to these guys. These guys then gave a bunch of money to all these politicians throughout the state of Wisconsin. And the, there was actually a, a Native American tribe here in Wisconsin that offered to, to pay for the new arena as long as they got to build another casino. Governor Scott Walker denied that. Uh, the politicians voted to give $250 million to this private group to build this new sports arena. The sports arena has now been built. Uh, these guys then invested more money in these politicians. So you have politicians receiving money from people, and then the politicians giving these guys basically $250 million for a sports arena. The Democrats are now holding the, con- the Democratic National Convention at that uh, arena. The mayor of the city, Tom Barrett, who's a huge crony, I mean, literally, his biggest policy has been trying to put a uh, trolley into the downtown system, and then he, you know, he actually puts this trolley in that his brother has a huge part in. But that's a whole nother crony story. Uh, the the mayor, Tom Barrett, terrible mayor, terrible mayor. I mean, there's there's lead in lead pipes uh, in the water supply or it's the water system, and they're worrying about sports arenas. And the mayor is now like the co-chair 
of this committee. And I actually just heard rumors yesterday that the Army National Guard is going to be having a training exercise that same week. And it's like, I will not be surprised if they have the Army National Guard to, uh, you know, cordon off the protesters in certain areas or so forth. If you remember 2004 Democratic National Convention, they had a free speech zone, which was basically a big square cement block where they put all the protesters in. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to not be anywhere near that convention because it's going to be crazy. You, you and I remember the... Uh, the, the, the recent Bernie guy talking about violence if Bernie doesn't get the nomination and all that crap. Yeah. But uh, this, this convention is the most crony thing ever. And uh, real quick, uh, a few years ago when I asked this guy who was a, who was a uh, state rep about it, he, uh, he pushed me against a wall. He is now the lieutenant governor of the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Let's talk Mayor Pete. I, speaking of a mayor, a former mayor, I guess, South Bend, all sorts of weird things come out of South Bend. Like some people are saying that Mayor Pete did a terrible job when he was just trying to run the city. You know, he got a few things done downtown with boutiques and, and coffee shops. But meantime, crime has continued to spike. The people are unsafe there. The people walk out. They're constantly at fear of being shot. This is a town of about 100,000 people. Just had a, a, another murder murder happened there. I mean, it's a, a small, relatively uh, medium-sized city, if you want to call it that. What's going on here? I guess there's a, a whole, I, I know that the media is really getting behind Buttigieg, I guess. They figure that he's their only hope of, uh, of uh, keeping Bernie from, from being the man to represent uh, the Democrat Party going into that election in November. So there's this whole debate around whether or not Pete, Mayor Pete is a, was a good mayor or a bad mayor. What do you think? Well, I mean, the one story I read about was that um, when the uh, black uh, police chief uh, came out and stated that there was racism going on in the department, he was then quickly fired by uh, Pete Buttigieg. Um, you know, it's where the University of Notre Dame is. Uh, it's probably one of those cities similar to Madison where they, they cater to the college kids who are only there for a few years because it's easier that way and then ignore the masses who actually, you know, help the city function and everything. Uh, there's a lot of talk of that uh, people of color are mistreated in uh, South Bend, Indiana. You know, in Indiana is it's one of those Rust Belt states that's, um, you know, uh, been hit hard by policies like NAFTA. And um, I've, I've read a lot about the, the terrible things that Pete Buttigieg has done. I'm not really surprised. I mean, he doesn't... Uh, I don't think he's an honest person at all. It's a blue city, but then again, it's a red state, though. I mean, Trump won Indiana. I mean, this, India, I thought it was like a flyover country for the Democrats normally. I don't even think. Well, it's, and it's also where uh, Vice President Pence comes from, and it's also where Vice President Dan Quayle came from. So it's it's pretty red. I mean, Quayle was the vice president for, for under, under uh, George H.W. Bush. Yep, yep. And so uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, I don't think this guy has a very impressive resume, but I do know that Trump has failed to come up with any kind of nickname for Bear Mayor Pete. He just calls him Mayor Pete, and that's about it. I don't know. We'll have to see if uh, if he comes up with something creative for. <laughs> for it's so juvenile that it's kind of funny, though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying at the end. It I, can be. Anyway, thank you so much, Miles. Really appreciate this. No problem. Thanks for having me. Miles Kristen of Wisconsin International Radio. Got to take a quick time out. We've got a, a business update on the other side. And uh, so hang in. We'll be right back. 
Got no radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back. Mark Petroni with you. So very glad you could join us. On today's show, we are 12 minutes away from Andrew Lawton from TNC News. And David Barnsdale is also going to be on hand in about uh, maybe 40 minutes from now or so, offering his tips, but also weighing in on the possibility that uh, I, if, if Bernie if Bernie becomes president, I mean, what happens to the stock market? What happens to investment? You know, when you've got it basically, I mean, I want to call him a communist. You want to call him a... He wants to call himself a Democrat, social, Democratic Socialist. I don't know, man. Either way, it's a, it's so far out there. I mean, so what happens to the stock market? And, and I think uh, we were going to talk about that on Tuesday, but David wants to save that for today. So let's. Uh, we're going looking forward to chatting with him about that. I guess the real story here. I mean, in terms of coronavirus, what uh, China now confirming fifteen thousand one hundred fifty-two new corona case cases, coronavirus cases, two hundred fifty-four additional deaths. That's like overnight. And we got Darko on the line. I, I, do you have some thoughts, Darko? Yeah, I mean, okay, so, so everybody's saying who's going to win a Democrat nomination. Okay, first of all, Bloomberg's not serious. Because if he was serious, he would have got into this race not like uh, two weeks or whatever, a week before the Iowa primary. He wasn't even really kind of in it then. So, so he's an absolute like joke. I don't care how much money he throws at it. He's not a serious contender. And, and then you have Sanders. So then you got to look at, I think you have five candidates now that are kind of named candidates that you sort of look at and say, okay, well, where, if Biden drops off, where, is, where are his voters going to go? They're not going to Sanders. Like, absolutely not. No, I, well, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Where do they go? I mean, do they go to, to, to Mayor Pete? Uh, yeah, I think... Klobuchar, I mean, she's doing well. Like, Klobuchar. Yeah. That the war never backed them last time against Clinton, and this time they've been squabbling. So she's obviously not a fan of his, for whatever reason. I mean, to me, yeah. like if you could, if you look at uh, Junior like on this side of the border, he'd have a uh, an ideological, uh, you know, brother, or you know, I, in, south of the border. If it was Sanders, I think nobody would be happier in the world than than Trudeau, who is way more radical than he lets on. So if all of a sudden you've got somebody who's way out there, like a Bernie Sanders, at the helm of the United States, I, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't think I don't think Sanders will win at all. Right. I don't think I think uh, Trump will mop the floor with him. But, oh, I think so too. But I mean, you know, if it's a, if it's, it's a clear if, position where you're you going to. What, what system you want or what, what kind mean, of country you, you want. Sanders, you know, I think for me, like, I, I like Trump, of course, right? Most people would know. But I think for me, like, like uh, Buttigieg would be the one that I would be most worried about because just because of where he kind of positions himself, right? Yeah, he's, like, kind of, he's right coming. Now he's not, he doesn't really have that pizzazz yet, right? But he's right there. And if, you, if he starts picking up, you know, like I said, Stuff from Biden, if he if he gets something from Warren, and then uh, it was a Amy Klubacher uh, or whatever her name is there. Klubacher, like, yeah, she's pretty yeah, strong. Like, she's I, she's I doing a good job, him, you know, getting and, and taking it. And then it's sort of so. Then you look at okay, well, you know, in politics, you always 
if you're on one side, you want somebody as far away from you as possible, right? Which is Sanders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Like I, to me, I think at some point because they cheated Bernie four years ago that that the Clinton dominated DNC uh, basically rigged that primary and made sure that he lost. I think they kind of sort of have to bite the bullet here. Uh, Sanders is not going to get He's 78 years old. So, I mean, do you right. see him running again in his 80s? Hard to see it. So I think, you know, at some point, if people want Sanders, the party has to this time just say, look, this is the choice. If this is the guy you want going up against Trump, then so be it. And uh, I, I think Trump will mop the floor because uh, he's just so extreme. This guy Sanders is just—I yeah. mean, he would be—he would be like, uh, like fall, nuclear fallout for the economy. Well, he's polar opposite what the United States really uh, is, or, or we, we've known it to be, right? Like you say, like the the you know the bastion of freedom in, in the world, so like free enterprise. And now he's totally opposite to that. You know, Canadians were kind of we have we're similar to that, but we're kind of a little more hybrid, of course, right? But, yeah, yeah well. I, I don't. I don't see Sanders winning it, and and I don't even. You know, anything's possible, of course, right? Because people said Trump wouldn't win anything last time, and he wouldn't win the the Republican. I thought he would win the Republican nomination, but yeah, I didn't think he would win the election just because of everything I saw, right? Yeah, but I thought it would be closer than people were making it out to be. It was great yeah. when he won. I loved it. But <laughs> interesting, yeah, no, absolutely, and thank you for for your call, Darko. I mean, for Bloomberg to say everybody's laughing at Trump behind his back, I don't think that anybody in the Democrat Party is laughing at Trump. He has beat them almost every step of the way, uh, yeah, and, he, and so he stands up, right? Like, absolutely. That's the thing. Like, I mean, actually, that that comment that. Biden made to the the dog-faced pony soldier, right? Yeah, like, that, it, but that was at least something that he did. And if he would have played it up and be more like, then people might say like, "Oh, he's got some fight in him," right? Absolutely. But, but you know, just sort of say, "Oh," and then they kind of shy. Trump never shies away when he says something, or he'll just say, "Oh, yeah, I said that." So what? You know? And okay. I think people yeah. respect him. At least respect somebody who will say, "Yeah, I, I said that," or just calls it as they see it, right? But you got to know again. You got to know your your voter base, and I think like with Sanders in the, in the United States, I mean, how much can he pull, right? I mean, because you're going to have usually 45 percent of the uh, on each side. You'll have 45, 45, and you're fighting for the next 10 uh, percent to win the election. Thanks again, Darko. Really appreciate Thanks, this. Bye bye now. Okay, so quick look at the markets. Uh, the Dow is down triple digits. I, I thought it was going to fall more than that when those coronavirus numbers came out. I mean, it's quite possible that there's so much. Uh, cheap money being pumped into the system here from federal banks and so forth that is propping up some of these or else kind of mitigating the effects of the coronavirus. But uh, I think more and more we're starting to see the impact in China on the economy there. And I tell you, if as, as so many are arguing, if the economy there uh, really takes a hit, a big hit, as a result of this thing, then it's going to filter throughout the world's economy and everybody's going to feel the pinch. Anyway, uh, so the Dow is down about a little over a third of a percent, and the NASDAQ is down about 29%. So some of the tech stocks, they're being hit as well. And uh, well, maybe I'll go through some of the engine. I do know that Tesla now is down. But Tesla is down again because it's offering a $2 billion stock offer. They're trying to raise money. So despite some of the good earnings reports that they have had, you know they're 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 desperate for cash, and as a result of that, they're reaching out to the market and saying, "Here's a whole bunch of new stocks. You know, buy them up and uh, 
and hold them because who knows, sometime down the road they're going to go way up. And the, and the stock has spiked. I mean, I have to admit that. Uh, over at uh, oil, oil is uh, West Texas Intermediate up about 50 cents. That's a little less than 1% to $51.66. So a little bit, uh, little bit of a rebound there uh, in oil. And uh, just a quick look at gold as well before we go to uh, Rio. Gold is up $4.30. So firming up a little bit to $1,575, while silver is also up 0.87%. Rio, what's going on? Hey, not much. Just working. Uh, Speak up, buddy. Yeah. I hope uh, Sanders wins the nomination because he has no chance of winning the presidency. (laughs) So, yeah, I've heard some of the Democrat analysts come out and say, yeah, you you Republicans, you know, you just want uh, Bernie to win because, you know, he doesn't stand a hope in hell of defeating Trump. And I yeah, think there's that no there's no growth a, there, right? There's uh, no growth because he, like you said, he's so radical. I've even seen other people like, OK, the Kobachar, she's rising. Her and um, Buddy, he's, they're the two that have the best, even though I think Trump's going to beat anybody, but because they're more moderate. There's more growth there, but Bernie Sanders is hardcore communist, right? So it's going to be communist versus capitalist if he's the winner, right? But I think they're all radical. I think Bernie, I credit him because at least he's being honest about who he is. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think no, we you're have... right. Because he, he expresses it that way, too. But then the honesty thing, too, is kind of BS in one way because every time you see him, he's like, Trump is a racist, he's a homophobe, he's a... It's like, shut up. Like, <laughs> People who accuse people of that are the people who, who are that. Well, it's so true. And he himself was accused by Elizabeth Warren of saying that a woman couldn't be president and wouldn't, couldn't win. So that That's was right. one of the things that was one of the knocks against Bernie. I mean, who knows if it was true or not? It was something that she used to try and knock Bernie Sanders down. Now, whether or not the... The establishment, uh, you know, the Clintons of the world, the Obamas are going to somehow try to engineer a defeat for Bernie in the, you know, in some of these primaries. Uh, it's, you know, it's possible. Like after what happened in Iowa, I mean, I, yeah. you know, it's in Bernie's head, you know, in his communist little brain, he's probably thinking, here we go. It's deja vu all over again. They, they took it. They stole it from me last time and they're going to steal it from me again. Yeah, and then you get Warren. There, there's another big time liar, Pocahontas, right? That was a lie. And then now the the last one a couple of weeks ago when she said, "Oh, her father uh, had a heart attack. Well, he couldn't work anymore, so her poor mother had to go out and and get a job at 50 years old." Okay, number one, even if that's true, there's people who work from 20 to 80 years old. Your mother got to work at 50, so maybe you were pretty good off. You know, and her brothers are all older. So she, her mother was fifty. All her, all the kids would have been like thirty, down to twenty or something. She's making it seem like they got little babies at home, and then they found out she was lying all about that anyway. Her father had the heart attack, whatever, recovered. Like, like she's, she just lies. She makes these stories up, and she's a liar. That's a common theme with Democrats: is that they just lie about everything. Well, it's so true. I mean, uh, she's a compulsive uh, storyteller, that one. Yeah, they're always the victim, right? uh, Well, that's, you know, that's part of your cred, your street cred, if you're a Democrat. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Rio. We got to take a time out. But yeah, that's part of your street cred on the left, right? If you're some part of some uh, aggrieved minority, then somehow that elevates your standing. That makes you a better 
uh, person to to run the country. I don't know why, but in their minds, that's that definitely elevates you. That makes you a contender. All right, uh, Andrew Lawton is standing by on the other side of this uh, timeout, so you definitely want to hear from Andrew. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Admiration I actually have for chasing dictatorship. For chasing dictatorship. For chasing dictatorship. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? At my signal. We're back. Mark Petroni with you on this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni radio program. So very good. Glad that you could be part of it. I'm now joined by Andrew Lawton from London, Ontario. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be with you, Mark. So, uh, the police arresting the wrong protesters. Uh, I, there's a story in TNC.News, great, great news hub that uh, that Andrew is associated with. Victoria Police investigating alleged assaults on government staff by protesters. Protesters blockaded the province's Capitol building in protest of the LNG pipeline. What's going on here? Well, I mean, right now the inmates are running the asylum nationwide. You had <laughs> Christia Freeland, who, whatever my political disagreements with her are, uh, she's still the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, denied entry into a government building in Halifax. You have in Victoria police basically asking for permission to get through the protesters. You've got blockades near Belleville. I mean, and, and nationally, the government's not doing a damn thing about any of this. Yeah, I think there's a chief uh, tomahawk. Who runs things in Belleville near near, near Belleville now? I, I know that uh, uh, Joe Warmington was was trying to cover it, but uh, he was told in no uncertain terms and, and shoved a little bit. You're not going to cover this. We we like the people at CBC and CTV. They're okay, but we don't like the Toronto Sun. So uh, you t- take a hike, Joe. And uh, there was nobody there to to defend Joe or to say, hey, you know, this is full media access. All of a sudden, we've got a small band that seems to have hijacked the entire country, and it's costing tens of millions of dollars. And you've got a prime minister who says, well, you know, maybe what we need here is some kind of, uh, you know, dialogue. On the other hand, he says... <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's called on our, all parties to work things out, which is code for, I'm not getting in, so you guys deal with it, because this isn't my problem. Yeah, and then you've got the CBC. I, I was talking about a story earlier today. They talked about the fact that Perrin Beatty came out. He's the CEO of Chambers of Commerce or whatever. And uh, you know, he's a guy who's been around for decades talking about business issues. And he was talking about the emergency facing Canada's uh, economy as a result of what's going on with these protests. And they never once even mentioned the fact that Justin Trudeau commented on it or had anything to say. It was almost like, yeah, we want to keep Junior out of this. 
this. You know, we want to protect him. We'll just talk about the protests and we'll talk about people complaining about the protests, but the people who actually have some power and, you know, to really get tough on these guys and say, you know what, police, do your job and, 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 you know, get the train lines and the roadways moving again, but he won't do it. And he's treating these protesters as if they have a, a level of legitimacy that they don't have. They're criminals. These are people who are breaking the law. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a story, just to give you a bit of a, a glimpse that'll be coming up on, on uh, TNZ News later today uh, about uh, websites that are actually instructing protesters on how to disrupt critical uh, infrastructure in Canada on how to uh, actually destroy rail network, how to destroy communications networks, block pipelines, roads. I mean, mean, these are very well-organized activists that are not just uh, embracing this old trope we hear of civil disobedience. They're actually out for blood. And, uh, you know, whether they're getting foreign funding or not, I don't know if history is any indication they are. But what I find so brazenly hypocritical of this is that we're not even talking about, for the most part, First Nations protesters. Uh, the First Nations communities are on board with a lot of these projects because they realize it's going to have a great economic impact. These are pre- professional activists that are there to destabilize. They are not there to simply express a, a position for the most part. And, and this is why there does need to be action. I'm sympathetic, however, with police, because any time we've seen, uh, you know, for example, land standoffs, the police are always the ones that are left holding the bag. So I think there needs to be leadership from the federal government on this. Yeah, in the absence, and in the absence of any kind of real leadership, you know, Canadians are coming out, they're so frustrated with not being able to get to where they're going, that they're actually taking matters in their, their own hands and going nose to nose with some of the police. The police are saying, well, you know, it's not that easy, you know, dealing with this. If, if it was easy, we would have done it. And people are saying, you know, I'm sick of this crap. I'm a taxpayer. You know, I pay for the roads. I pay for all these services. And uh, they're being blocked by these people who are basically committing crimes. So why can't you do something about it? I can understand the level of frustration that Canadians have towards these protests now. It's starting to take matters in their own. My concern, Andrew, is that these people are going to get charged themselves. That, in fact, rather than having the protesters hauled off to jail, you know, you're going to get Canadians who just want to be able to, you know, to run their lives, to to get to where they're going, that they are the ones who are going to end up getting charged. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. There was a video that I just saw this morning uh, from Alberta, and I, and I mean this with all the love and respect in the world. I, I genuinely love rednecks. It's a redneck <laughs> with a pickup truck where the door is a different color than the other door, which is a different color than the body of the truck. And this guy is trying to get past a highway blockade, and he drives on the opposite side of the highway because there's uh, no blockade there. So he drives across the median, uh, goes through. Uh, one of the protesters tries to throw plywood in front of him to stop him, which could have killed him. And then once he gets through, he crosses the median and goes back to the right side. Now I say here's a guy who is, uh, who is himself trying to get around the lawbreakers, and the police are looking for him. The police are trying to find him now. Isn't that something? So, yeah, he, so he becomes the target of a police investigation, somebody who just basically ran 
the blockade, an illegal blockade. You know, there's nothing legal about these actions. And so you, you try to get around those things. Oh, no, you're the, ones who, you're the one who's going to get targeted. I mean, that's an absolute outrage. What is going on in the minds it of is. police? And, and just imagine for a moment, Mark, and your listeners can do this experiment as well, that a, that a group of yellow vest protesters decide they're going to, uh, you know, camp out on the 401. Or the United We Roll convoy of trucks that uh, drove uh, from uh, the west, out west to Parliament Hill. What if they just decided they were going to stop and, and block the Trans-Canada? A highway. Imagine any group with a conservative message doing this. There would be the military called in to kick them out. All right. So what what's going to happen here? Where where are we going with this thing? Is somebody going to, uh, you know, we can't allow the economy to go to go to a standstill as a result of this stuff. There's just an absence of leadership in Ottawa. Where do you see? How do you see this thing playing out? Well, you know, you give them an inch, they'll run a mile. I, I think you have to prove that their way is not going to work. And the way you do that is by not letting it work. When everyone just goes along with it, I mean, they're not going to get what they want. They're not going to change the policies that they don't like. So at a certain point, you just have to say, we don't care. And I'm waiting for the government to say that to them. And, and this is an area, by the way, Mark, that's not a left-right issue. I think the liberals and the conservatives can be in alignment on these things. And uh, even the NDP, which doesn't like the products, they, it has its radicals, sure. But I think for the most part, they don't like the idea of the First Nations communities that like these projects uh, being so ignored and disrespected. So the government's got to get in and say, listen, it's not going to work. And if you break the law, we're going to arrest you. Let's talk a little bit about Jaspal Atwal. He's the convicted terrorist and attempted assassin. And he was the one who was implicated in this uh, disastrous trip to India, which Justin Trudeau attended a few years ago. This was really the beginning of his laughingstock phase, where people really saw this guy as the buffoon that he is. And anyway, this guy, Atwal, I, I guess, attended some kind of an event in India. And now, and as a result of that, caused all sorts of controversy there during that event. And now, I guess he's in trouble with the law again. Yeah, the uh, the report that came from my colleague Candace Malcolm is that he's been arrested for uh, death threats uh, or threats of some kind against uh, a former employer of his. Now, uh, it's important to note these are, are allegations. It's not been proven in court. Um, but it, it does show that we're, we're talking again about the judgment. Why was this guy brought to the inner circle? Why was this guy with his record, with the things for which he has been convicted, uh, given a seat at the table, brought along in a government plane, not just for security reasons, but for optics reasons. Uh, and, you know, the, the more we learn about this guy, the more uh, questions it raised as to why he was ever allowed uh, to be so close to so many powerful people by the Liberals and by the Prime Minister's office. And there's also Omar Khadr, who's getting a, what standing ovations now and a speaking tour, flying? Uh, what's the deal there? I mean, is he violating some kind of a no-fly order? Well, I mean, I, I don't know, first off. I mean, the no-fly list in Canada is not a public document. Um, you know, and even his lawyer had said a couple of years ago they won't know if he's on a no-fly list unless he gets pulled off a plane. Uh, so Ezra Levant saw him on a plane uh, from Edmonton to Toronto, tried to ask questions, or uh, from Toronto to Halifax, rather, tried to ask some questions and ended up himself getting detained by police. I was at that Omar Cotter event in, in Halifax on Monday, uh, and here's a guy that has 
fawning, fawning, fawning over him from fans, a guy that uh, has not just gotten the $10.5 million, but now is really trying to rehabilitate the image and still not answering and not being asked any of the relevant questions as to whether he is someone who aligns with radicalism. He's never denounced terror. He's never denounced the family that uh, got him embroiled in terror and this victim brigade uh, of people around him that say he's the victim and we're all the bad guys are not interested in getting him to answer any of these questions. And the family of the people of the person he killed or is responsible for the death of and blinded, I guess, in another individual, they're seeking a share of that ten and a half million, but he doesn't seem overly interested in sharing, does he? No, and, and they've actually won in a court judgment against him, $134 million for a wrongful death lawsuit, and they've won that. And uh, the government of Canada actually gave Cotter the money secretly so that it couldn't be blocked uh, with an injunction under, that, uh, under those terms. And this is going back a couple of years, and now that case is still ongoing. Cotter's trying to avoid having to answer questions. Uh, the latest ruling out of the U.S. is that he will have to be deposed, so Cotter will have to answer some questions under oath which I, I think is a very important uh, development in his saga. I mean, I guess he can't really be extradited. It's not a criminal case. It's a civil trial, right? No, he's not extradited, but he can be deposed. Uh, and that's the thing. I mean, as it so happens, he's banned from entering the U.S. That's part of his bail uh, conditions and part of his plea agreement with the U.S. Uh, but nevertheless, he still has a, a judgment against him, and he also still has a conviction registered against him for killing Sergeant Christopher Spear. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, Mark. Andrew Lawton of True North, uh, True North Center. That's TNC.news. Definitely check that out. Lots of great news stories and perspectives you're not going to find in most of the legacy media outlets. Lots more to come on News Talk. Don't go away. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk, Saga 960. And we are back with more News Talk. So very glad you could join us on this edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program. I guess we have a new ca- a candidate uh, running, Dr. Leslin Lewis. Really hoping that we can get uh, her on the show. She's the latest to announce they are running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. And we'll see how far she gets. Some people have said that she's uh, rock solid on the economic files. I have spoken to uh, people like Jocelyn uh, Jocelyn Bamford, who said that you know she's really, uh, she, she knows the right points to make, when to make them in terms of what's best for, the, for Canada's economy. And she's all in on trying to make it easier for companies small and medium-sized companies like hers to operate in this country. It just seems like so many of our governments uh, over the years have been determined to undermine those those companies. Uh, we're doing a lot better in Ontario now than we were, thankfully, and that's being reflected in some of the job numbers that we're seeing in Ontario. But she says uh, uh, Dr. Lewis believes it's time to bring some of those similar types of policies 
uh, into the federal arena, and uh, that's what she's going to be pushing for. And so good to see another person jump into the race. God, we got a creepy tech story as well. This is kind of interesting. I, it's, it's a little far out there, but, you know, I like these stories on occasion. And by the way, tomorrow we do have, yes, it is. The, the segment people do seem to love is that UFO Friday segment. And uh, William Pullen, uh, our friend from San Antonio and the great state of Texas, is going to be coming to us. He's a lecturer. He's a researcher into that field, kind of a debunker, which is kind of cool, really. So he's he'll look at case, and he'll you know he'll the first thing he does is try to look for uh, some kind of uh, reason as to why it can be explained logically, uh, and then after that, if there is no you know conventional explanation for for a case, then uh, you know then he'll look at some of the unconventional reasons why this sighting happened or that sighting happened. And so always great chatting with William, and he's going to be on tomorrow at the start of hour two. Anyway, this uh, creepy tech story out of the Daily Star in the U.K., China to deploy undercover uh, robot spies who will blend into the human population. Really? Well, you know, when you see this thing with coronavirus and just just the pack of lies that we're being fed, at least it certainly seems that way by the government, uh, you have to wonder whether or not, you know, and the fact that people have been accosted and if they don't look right, if they're not wearing a mask, all of a sudden they're just uh, approached, thrown into like a metal box, what, never to be heard from again? I mean, it's, it's really, it's just absolutely scary when you look at some of these videos. I grant you, not all of them are for real. Some of them are staged. Some of them aren't. It's hard, to, you know, you have to be careful about looking at them. You have to look at them with a jaded eye and wonder, you know, how much of this is really happening. But then you, know, you see this incredible jump and out of the blue, you know, we were led to believe for three straight days that the numbers of corona case vi- uh, virus cases were on the decline, that somehow it appeared that the country was starting to get uh, you know a handle on these on these corona cases and then all of a sudden boom it's like overnight you know 15,000 new cases wow what <laughs> what happened there and a whole bunch of, of more uh, dead people you know and then you have reports of china uh, you know, c- cracking down on people doing these videos or anybody who's who goes online and puts forth a case that maybe differs from the official one that the China, the Chinese dictatorship wants you to think. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, how far would the Chinese go? And the suggestion here is that not in the not-too-distant future, there's going to be, like, lifelike robots, people. <laughs> I don't know, what, do you, what are, like, android-type things? Anyway, this is a, there's a Dr. Ian Pearson, according to this story, predicting undercover robot spies that look human that will be deployed by countries around the world for surveillance, blending into the human environment without us even knowing about it. So it's not just China, all right? <laughs> uh, robots that pretend to be human will be deployed how does a robot do that? It, no, really, think about that. You're a robot, right? And you're going to pretend to be human? I don't think robots pretend. They, you know, they're programmed. Are they? <laughs> Excuse me. They're programmed to to behave in a way, right? To a certain way, to to do certain things. I I don't know. Anyway, so I guess according to the story, these, these bots are going to know they're robots, but they're acting like people. 
<laughs> and they will be deployed by rogue nations to spy on their own people. Junior is going, wow, what an, what an idea that would be. And a rival countries, a top expert fears. This is, a, once again, Dr. Ian Pearson. And believing that robots will easily be able to blend in with the human population without us noticing. Well, I mean, how often do you really look at people, right? You're walking down the street. Sometimes you look at people. I mean, something in you might think there's something off about this person. But, you know, that, I think that about, like, real people, not, not just bots. So, but, you know, I think so people, most people, I think, are just so preoccupied with doing what, uh, you know, what it takes just to get by that they don't really look at other people that much. They're walking down the street. I mean, you don't know. So so could it be that some bot is there, like, taking pictures of you as you're walking past and, you know, running through your facial recognition uh, information inside its, its uh, hard drive, and that information is being transmitted in real time to some headquarters. And so then all of a sudden the bot, what, gets some kind of instruction? Okay, follow that guy. So turn around. So maybe one minute the bot is walking past you. And then on the second time it turns around and is following you. And it's gathering data as it goes. The ex-cybernetics engineer predicts Western countries will create laws to ensure citizens are made aware of a robot's presence. Oh, really? I, you know, if anything, we're going down the other direction. We had, uh, look at big tech for crying out loud, spying on people. You know, look at uh, Siri. You know, talk. You know, there's <laughs> they're listening to us. I mean, let's you know really think about that. I mean, who trusts these people anymore? You know, when you're looking at your computer, I mean, is it looking back at you? you know, normally, like you have a camera there. If you're looking at like a laptop, and you know, the green light will come on if for some reason the camera is looking at you and taking but who's to say that somebody hasn't hijacked that camera and is looking at you right now I mean you know it's hard to know where you can trust I, I don't trust any of them anymore anyway so this guy highlighted China as a country that may use these bots as a form of, a form of CCTV so what did I tell you so this is a case of uh, basically just uh, getting pictures of you constantly, right? So you got your cameras up on high. So sure, a lot of cities, they're just so so wired. I mean, you can't go anywhere, like London, places in London, for instance. You walk around. You, you know, my thing is you just assume you're on camera. You just walk outside or even walk in a lot of buildings. Just assume that you're on camera and then somebody is watching you. Uh, so Dr. Pearson is a futurologist, and he spoke with, uh, with journalists. They said, when, when you're talking to artificial intelligence online, it has to tell you it's an AI because you're talking to a robot, not a human being. Uh, but if you were a small nation or independent nation and don't subscribe to Western authorities, uh, don't think that Europe should tell you what to do then you can go ahead and do whatever whatever the hell you want to do. Meaning what? Meaning take the available technology and apply it to watching people. <laughs> and, and you see some of these sex dolls. It looks so, you know, they look pretty lifelike. I mean, I have to, I have to admit, when you look at it, you obviously know you're not looking at a person. <laughs> I mean, they constantly talk about, oh, man, they're so lifelike. Well, excuse me, but I know I'm looking at a piece of rubber here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and you hear it. I mean, you, you know, it's not like, I don't know, it's not like some of the uh, 
some of them, some of these movies that you see where androids are so unbelievably lifelike because they're played by actors. But I mean, I don't know. We're not there yet. I mean, realistically, you could tell. I mean, come on. Anyway, the story goes on to say China, given its love for authoritarianism and surveillance, well, this is why Justin Trudeau loves them so much, may decide that the easiest way to monitor people is to have some state-controlled robots masquerading as people among everyone else. Why not? Well, we have, we have uh, political hacks masquerading as journalists, so why not? Uh, that would really be a good way of doing it, wouldn't it, says the article? Just because Europe has decided to make it illegal and Silicon Valley decides it's not up to their standards, it still might happen in places like China or Russia or anywhere else. Well, look, you know what it is. I want to tell you, when you're talking about authoritarian regimes like China, like North Korea, well, you're talking about enormous resources that have to go into the constant surveillance of people in order to make sure that people are not saying what you, what they don't want. This is the problem. This is why these totalitarian regimes collapse under their own weight, because it takes such an enormous police state to watch the other half of the population. And of course, it sucks up so much of the resources of the country and it just prevents. So, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is crushing freedom is enormously expensive and taxing in terms of resources. And China certainly is, is finding that out and has probably known it for years. But they're still doing it because the leadership is, so, of course, so corrupt and so power hungry. Anyway, a quick time out and then we'll be back for more after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. And we are back with the Money Maze. Brought to you by insane wealth management group david barnsdale is on the line he's our financial expert the man who knows all who sees all yes indeed he knows all the loopholes all the ways to avoid the tax man so what do you make of this story david i throwing you a story good morning mark good morning good morning have you heard so so the uh the feds of course, they fine people if you don't uh, divulge whether you've sold your principal residence. This is a they fine you as much like eight thousand dollars potentially, even though that is actually uh, not uh, taxable. Like uh, you could still sell your principal residence without without being taxed. Correct? Uh, absolutely. But hey, you know what? This is fantastic legislation. Okay, and I'll tell you why. why. Okay. Because there's too many people out there flipping houses and making a living out of housing and claiming it as their principal residence, yet really it's their business. So tell me something. Are you happy with some uh, individual out there making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year flipping houses, uh, claiming that it's his principal residence when he probably doesn't even move into it and paying zero tax? No, he should be. He should be um, charged. But on the other hand... Without this filing... They can't keep track of it. On the other hand, if it's just regular folks being hammered with this thing, 
Ma and Pa Kettle sold their house, maybe forgot to tell the government, and then boom, they get hit with an $8,000 fine. That sucks. Oh, that, I guess. Okay, I'm completely on board with you. Like, <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, yeah. But you know what? I don't even want to go there because there's so many. I know it's a pretty loaded thing, but you know they were talking about taxing it. In fact, that was one of the things that was being thrown out, like a fifty percent tax. That was one of the things that came out in the election. Yeah, and the, and the liberal remember that. Yes, and, and, the, who, and hey, uh, don't rule it out, right? Well, I'm not going to rule anything out with these guys. I mean, yeah. they they would tax they would tax your bowel movements if they thought they could get away with it. Yeah. I can, uh, you know what? Like there, you know what? CRA they have a mandate, it all to go after the little guy all the time, right? Because it's easy picking, or they go after people that file a tax return rather than people that don't file a tax return. It's uh, our whole system is backwards. Let's talk. Speaking backwards, you got Bernie, <laughs> a socialist, who I guess is the front runner now. He's the uh, possible guy who's going to be leading the Democrat Party. Uh, to battle against uh, Donald Trump in, in November, which is really not that far away. If you think about it, we're, we're on the eve of the 2020 election. Uh, Bernie's in the lead. He's winning primaries. He's winning states, Iowa, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, and so what would happen if a guy like that with his views, openly socialist, uh, were, to, were to win the presidency? And uh, what would what would the world look like? Well, I, I sent, you know, what's interesting because, as I mentioned to you, we, I sent you those charts. If you look at, actually, now I don't have one on, uh, the most recent one on, on what you're talking about, but with Elizabeth Warren, and there's a direct correlation between the S&P and her, and when she was at her peak, the market was, I mean, a direct correlation between the markets being down when she was up, and it's very similar with, with Bernie. Because basically, let's face it, yeah, he's got a, a lot of policies the market don't like. What would happen to us uh, being next door to that? I think Justin Trudeau would probably think, Yahoo! That mm. means uh, I can, <laughs> that's like, uh, I can do any, I can go as far as I want with, with, with a guy like that south of the border. I've got an ideological friend, an ally, but uh, what would happen to Canada, do you think, economically speaking? <laughs> I I can't really comment because we actually haven't seen any uh, analysis of that yet because I think like we're a long ways away yet and uh, let's just go back in history and remember that all the polls and all the uh, analysts were saying that there is no way in God's green earth that uh, Mr. Trump is going to win right? Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah. what happened? Exactly. Uh, and what Not about the, night the, off. Uh, I, the Brexit I, I... poll? Yes, I mean, that's every time true. it seems like a poll comes out or research, uh, they haven't been as accurate as uh, as we like to believe sometimes, or not believe, I guess, well, how you view it, right? the markets went on an unbelievable roller coaster the night of, like the futures yes, markets, you know, absolutely. through Asia. <laughs> you recall what happened when Trump won the day the day Down they, 600, and then look at what they did after that, or I, more. I can't I remember know. what it was. <laughs> it, it fell, I, I can't remember what it was, five, down 5% or some wild number and then when people sort of came to their senses and realized hey this is this is a free market guy i mean he's he's a businessman himself 
And all of a sudden, it turned around, and the markets shot straight up again. It was like a moonshot. And uh, he's still bragging about the state of the stock markets uh, years later. And this is when he's talking about people's 401k, which is, I guess, uh, their version of the RRSP. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, email you sent me earlier. You talked about uh, robots replacing humans, and you wanted to discuss the difference between the two and how really, you know, it's a tool, I suppose, that you could use. But on the other hand, it's not going to replace all aspects of dealing with an actual human being. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the reality is people want somebody to hold their hand in a rough market, a tough market. As climate. They want a sounding board. They want a relationship. They want somebody they can trust. And, you know, it's much, much more than just uh, managing investments in an investment portfolio. That's, that's a small portion of what a good advisor does wealth advisor does. It's tax planning, it's estate planning, it's tax minimization, as you just alluded to earlier. You know, we are taxed to the max in this country. If you're earning, what, over, I don't know, 200000 even if you're in a 100000 range, you're still taxed probably 40 45%. Uh, but, you know, the real value add is, is the investment management is one com- only one small component. Meantime. All the other things, retirement planning, tax efficient retirement income planning. You know what? I would swear that every week, or at least every couple of weeks, I have to make a call to our advisory group uh, about a situation. And you know what? I mean, 32 years of experience and pretty well every designation you can have in the industry, and I still have situations where I need to go to our team of resource people and get a second opinion or their, their counsel on situations. Right? Because stuff is constantly changing? Constantly changing, exactly. There's root, exactly. You know what? Again, our government, you know, our tax system, and it doesn't seem which party is in, by the way, they just seem to create more and more complexity. Instead of making it simpler, they make it more complex, which, you know, creates work for the professionals like myself. <laughs> As you said, it creates work in an industry to try and figure out the tax advantages. But that's uh, maybe is that way their way of justifying their own existence. I mean, I was with the regulator for five years. God love them, wonderful people. But staff, you know, after a while, you begin to realize that it's kind of a make work project. You know, like rather than trying to simplify things, which might make their own jobs uh, redundant, you know, they're into adding layers of complexity to it in order to justify the hiring of more people, you know, not, so maybe that's part of it. It's just, you know, this stuff just tends to grow itself. It's, It's almost like, I hate to compare it to a cancerous tumor, but it just wants to eat everything in sight. You know, it's just like a, a hungry, voracious thing that just, it needs more and more. It never, you know, reduces itself. Like when I was at the regulator, we did something that has never been done, which actually phased out a fund that was created. I mean, that that's yeah. almost unheard of. You know, everything yeah. for everything that is created in the way of sucking more resources out of the uh, private sector. That you know, nobody ever relinquishes that sort of thing until I did it with the team I was working on, working yeah. with at the time. Yeah, you're right. That's the problem with government and bureaucracy, right? It just keeps growing and growing and growing. So we're getting close, to, closer and closer to uh, tax time, and uh, I guess you guys are really busy right now. What uh, what advice would you have for people as they get ready to file? Uh, uh, number one, which 
You know, I, I don't know. I don't seem to hear as much and see as much about the RSP reminders as in the past. Maybe we're just, I'm just getting insensitized to it. But uh, you got to remind people, and I do every year, you know, that deadline is here before you know it, right? And once that deadline is gone, it, you can't go backwards. So I definitely say you got to be, I mean, basically, uh, RSP is the only thing left uh, to get a tax relief from last year's taxes uh, that I can think of. There's nothing else. So if you're looking at your, you you know, people should be looking at their taxes right now and saying, hey, do I need to make an RSP contribution and do I want to get a tax relief or a tax refund? A lot of those uh, boutique cuts disappeared with the Trudeau government, I guess. And so in a way, I suppose that simplifies things. But on the other hand, it also takes away people's opportunities to get breaks on things like, you know, getting your kids in hockey and all that sort of stuff. But you stuff. know what? It's amazing, Mark, that, like, we are in, you know, every week we hear about the indebtedness of Canadians, right? Yeah. And the borrowing, and I mean, you know, let's face it, institutions want you to borrow money. We've got historically the lowest rates we've seen in decades. What I find ironic, though, is people will borrow money for a barbecue and a TV and appliances and this and that and consumption, but if they won't think about borrowing to a an RSP contribution, which gives them immediate tax refund, to pretty well pay off half the loan within 90 days, the quick as they can get their tax refund back. Right, and allows right. them to grow that money, hopefully, in an investment that uh, you know is. I well, guess think nothing's about it. Guaranteed, I mean, if you're borrowing, but... I don't don't quote me on the interest rates for borrowing for an RSP, but uh, <laughs> they're pretty low, right? Maybe I don't know, three percent, four percent. I mean, you can buy great quality dividend-paying investments that are generating that or more. So, it, you know, even though it's inside your RSP, it's offsetting the actual borrowing cost. Right. The only unfortunate thing is in borrowing for RSPs, our government doesn't allow you to deduct the interest. Unlike some of the other tools we talked about with PPPs and RCAs and other things. Yeah. That's one thing that maybe a future government can do. Yes. And what I think I want to talk about on the next show, uh, Mark, which I, uh, is because we're kind of on the robo theme or, uh, tools is what we're not, we haven't really talked about is the risk in portfolio. Now I'm meeting a lot of people and they're talking about, and like they've had great returns in their portfolios. Yeah. But I mean, it just comes to mind because we just reviewed a, a substantial portfolio and we couldn't, contain ourselves with the amount of risk this individual had in the portfolio that he'd have absolutely no idea about. So I mean, it was basically, he had done phenomenal. Right. But the problem was he was concentrated almost like the index in like six technology growth stocks. Okay. And he has, like, people are out there, you know, we've had great years. We've had great returns in the markets. Yeah. I think it's time to step back and people have to get a second opinion and analyze what's delivered the returns and what's the actual risk looking forward, not looking backward, looking forward. Yeah, for sure. All right, we can maybe talk about that next Tuesday. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, have a great day. Love the show. Uh, I, and I, I can't, you know what, I can't comment too much on, but that arrest of the person cleaning the, uh, the obstacles on the road. Yeah. Un, what, unbelievable what this 
Like, we have things so backward. I know, it's, it's scary, the economy. But how do people get a hold of you? Oh, one 205 6536 or david.barnsdale at rbc.com. Thank you so much. Great. Really appreciate this, David. Thanks, Mark. Let's do this Have again next Tuesday. Bye-bye. The Money Maze is brought to you by the Barnsdale and Hussain Wealth Management Group. And we'll be right back with the final scintillating segment of the Mark Petroni radio program after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You are listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more. Give us a call, like the man said, if you uh, want to chat. And uh, tomorrow, of course, is UFO Friday. And there's kind of a story in the uh, Wall Street Journal looking for signs of alien tech. Alien technology. Unusual changes in the atmosphere and temperature of distant planets might be our first clue to the existence of life beyond Earth. Well, I wonder if William Pullen wants to weigh in on that one. The search for planets outside our own solar system has unearthed more than 4,000 of them so far. And I dare say there are probably million, billions of other ones. It's a vast universe, obviously, beyond the comprehension of you know, most people anyway. Um, the challenge in finding planets is that astronomers aren't looking for the biggest, brightest, or most unusual objects in the sky, as they usually do. As sources of mass and energy, planets are relatively insignificant. And they are much dimmer than the stars they orbit, making them hard to discern. But astronomers have risen to the challenge, and now they've got new technicians, or two new techniques, rather, uh, to be able to identify these planets. We've got a caller on the line. It is Dave from Mississauga. Dave. Thanks, baby. How you doing? Excellent. How's the show today? You're, the, you're my uh, quality uh, control guy, one of my con- quality control people. Is it up, well, to, you, uh, up to your standards? Well, uh, at the beginning of your show, I was doing some... Uh, Nine one one calling on some clown who was beating up his girlfriend. So. Oh my God! You called nine one one on somebody who was assaulting his girlfriend. Your girlfriend? I don't know who she was. It seemed to be his girlfriend. Yes. Wow. Well. So I was busy dealing with the police. I would dare I say no. No, listen up. <laughs> you definitely had more important things to do. Yes. And of course, you can catch uh, what you missed on podcast anyway. Oh, or... I will. Don't worry, Mark. I will. <laughs> and I can listen tonight before I go to sleep, which I always do. So what's going on? So uh, yeah. So uh, how do you? What do you like about this uh, Mississauga wanting to add another counselor? And guess who brought the motion forward? Carolyn Parrish. Is that a good old liberal name for you? <sighs> Carolyn. Yeah. I I have ripped her, but you know she doesn't. Here's somebody who's been in this soul, soul. She's got the big fat pension, the big fat federal pension, you know. She's got uh, pensions up the yin-yang, this woman, all courtesy of the taxpayers. She has milked the taxpayers almost more than anybody I know, like at a, at a municipal level. 
But, uh, you know, I guess people keep electing her, so what are you going to say? I mean, I thought she wasn't going to run last time. I was hoping she wasn't. People don't want to go up against her because, you know, she's still a, a formidable presence, I guess, politically in that area. I know she she made uh, the her liberal bosses really angry, angry with her because she kept doing things and saying things that were so incendiary that people that Martin I think and Cretin got so sick of her they was just wanted her to go away but uh, you know so here's somebody suggesting that another seat is needed you know what we don't need any more politicians we got plenty I think no kidding that's why no. uh, Ford was I still think one of the best things Ford ever did was to was to chop uh, <laughs> was to chop Toronto Council in half I thought that was awesome yeah I think Mississauga if we're going to be the region of Peel we only need one mayor well, absolutely. I mean, where do you stand on that, where, you know, Mississauga wants to go its own way, and and Brown has his own views about Peel and thinking, you know, we you know we should work together and all this sort of thing, but um, Crombie believing that uh, this Mississauga is being taken advantage of. What's your take on that? Well, I think Mississauga should be separate. I think all we're basically doing is babysitting the rest of, Missis- uh, the rest of Peel. Like, all we're doing is sending our cops up there, you know. All the troubles up there. Milton, we're paying for their roads. Like, what's the purpose? What are we getting? Every time they come do a repair in my area, you know, they butcher up the street, and they just leave a big mess. And when you go tell them, it's, oh, oh, oh call us. And what do you yeah. think? Yeah, well, interesting point. What do you make of these protests, these pipeline, anti-pipeline protests that have uh, hijacked our transportation systems in this country? Mark, we know they're illegal. Let's stop playing games. When that protest ends, let me, you, and a couple other people go start another protest on the same railway and see what happens. Well, you know it, and I know it. We'd be behind bars in no time. That's right. They should be water bombing them. (laughs) Bring out the fire hoses. Yeah, and also, uh, I just wanted, before I go, I just wanted to comment on uh, high school Catholic teachers, uh, Canceling a uh, a provincial swim tournament for high school students. Okay, this is uh, I, what's going on there. So they they canceled a major swim meet, a provincial meet for uh, students in Peel, I believe it was, and um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's okay. And and they're saying that uh, they they they're not letting them go because the teacher won't go with them, and the other students can't go to the other classes, which means. Students were going to other classes when this teacher was coaching the swim tournament. And also, we have world-class swimmers in this country that we've paid for with our tax money so they can go and, you know, major their art. Why don't any one of them step up and say, you know, while you teach you stay in school, I'll take those people to go on their swim tournaments. Yeah, I mean, the, t- the education system is just, uh, I don't know, and then in the midst of a, this labor dispute, and on top of it, everything, I don't know what the kids must be thinking these days, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm with you in terms of uh, looking at all this stuff in the education system. I really appreciate your call today, Dave. I got to wrap things up. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for Chewing the Fat with Lori McLaurin up next. We'll see you tomorrow. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.